And you could hear the children start to to kind of laugh a little bit. There was no obvious reason for it, except when you realized that Ali had crept out behind him and was making <laughs> faces and funny signs behind Joe. Oh, that's funny. And then he just creeped back out. Joe never knew what happened. Hello and welcome to another episode of TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council. From deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. We are just a few short weeks away from Fight Night 33, Breaking Ground, and it's safe to say that we're all really excited for the big night and can't wait to see everybody. For listeners who may not be Trek members or who may be new to Trek, Fight Night is our annual black tie boxing soiree. It's our biggest philanthropic event of the year and one of the largest in the region, supporting Trek community investors and its work throughout the Dallas community. Today's guest, Steve Crossan of Integra Realty Resources, is Fight Night's boxing chair and one of the board members that helped create the event in the late 1980s. He's been to every Fight Night here in Dallas and several others throughout the U.S. and internationally. In addition to his five-decade-long real estate career, Steve has been around boxing his entire life. His father was an amateur fighter and referee, and Steve has been a fighter, ref, promoter, and board member on the World Boxing Council in several roles. He and his team help select the fights you see each year at Fight Night, and he's the man to thank for bringing the many celebrity boxing guests you've met at Fight Night throughout the years, including Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Sugar Ray Leonard, Lennox Lewis, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and many, many others. Steve joined me to reminisce about the early days of Fight Night and boxing's place in the corporate and philanthropic world. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation and so grateful to Steve for sharing his stories and insight. But before we get to that conversation, I'd like to remind you all to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media and YouTube. You can also check out our ongoing mid-year member pricing offer and join, upgrade, or renew your 2022 Trek membership at half the price. You can peruse our membership offerings and choose the right half-price membership for you over at recouncil.com backslash become-trek-member. That's recouncil.com backslash become-trek-member. We'll link to everything for you in the show notes. Now, here's Steve Crossan, our resident boxing chair, right here on TrackCast. Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Bill. Thank you. Pleased to be with you. I wanted to start by giving you an opportunity to introduce our, yourself to uh, our listeners uh, and members. So please tell us a bit about who you are and the kind of work you do. Well, my name is Steve Crossan. Um, I am involved in real estate valuation. Um, have been for a long, long time. Presently uh, working with Integra Realty Resources, a really outstanding firm. So you're here today because you are our resident boxing chair for Fight Night. Yes, sir. And you've got a very extensive boxing history. Your father was an amateur fighter and trainer. You were a fighter and a referee and a promoter here in the U.S. and internationally. You've served the World Boxing Council for several years um, in several roles. How did boxing become such a big part of your life? Can you maybe tell us a bit about that? Happy to. Uh, 
after I stopped boxing, um, <clears throat> I was asked to begin uh, refereeing, <clears throat> pardon me, amateur fights. Started out uh, doing local tournaments, the Golden Gloves. Um, I had two really outstanding mentors that really urged me to uh, work uh, my way up to the world level. There's no reason why I couldn't be a referee at the world level. Um, the World Boxing Council uh, was and still is, in my opinion, uh, the very best world organization. Um, it was an interesting thing because uh, I went to the WBC conventions and then in 1982, um, Don King put on a world title fight at Reunion Arena, a WBC title fight. The president of the WBC uh, came to Dallas for that fight. He was here for, for the, the week preceding the fight. I was assigned to be the referee. During that week, he and I spent a great deal of time together, really bonded, and in fact became best friends. Um, and that really led to my uh, big involvement at the world level with the World Boxing Council. Uh, we traveled the world together. Uh, it was something that I am so pleased to have, have, have been able to, to do. Uh, I wouldn't take any amount of money for it. I, ever since a child, I wanted to see the world. This was my vehicle, and I, I seized it. What was it about boxing <clears throat> when you were young, when you first started boxing, maybe watching your dad and getting that that love of the sport, what, what was it that got you hooked on, on boxing? You know, boxing has, a, um, has, has some unique characteristics to it. Um, first of all, there's no pretense. There's no pretense of trying to get a ball across a goal, trying to knock a ball out of the park, so on and so forth. Um, it is man-to-man -man combat, controlled violence, but violent nonetheless. Sure. Um, I emphasize controlled because boxing has very clear rules and, you know, if, if a fighter doesn't follow those rules, then he's penalized. So, you know, I, I really like the honesty of it. It really didn't, uh, it didn't apologize for itself. Um, I found it very exciting. Just two guys in there. Nobody could help them. Nobody, you didn't have any teammates. And, um, it was, it's, it's a very dramatic sport in that it can be over at any moment. One punch, it's over. Other sports, you have so many laps around a track, so many innings, so many quarters, and so forth. That's not the case in boxing. Boxing is scheduled for a certain number of rounds, but uh, that's certainly no guarantee that it's going to go that distance. Yeah, we joked this morning that one of the fights a couple of years ago, there were people that didn't even know it started because it was over so fast. Yeah, <laughs> this happens. This does indeed happen. So considering the foothold that you've had, <clears throat> the, you know, the, the role, the level that you've gotten up to in boxing, what made you then pursue a, a real estate career? Well, that's an excellent question, Bill. Um, I don't think the two are related, but there's a common element between the two in both boxing and then in my, my professional uh, career as, as a valuation expert, um, objectivity and independence is required. One can't be biased. And uh, 
that seems to be the character that that uh, or what really fits my character, and so they really they're they're similar. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that you find those similarities. I was I was going to ask you if you had noticed any over the years, or uh, you know that that self sufficiency, that you know that, sure. that quality that you'd mentioned. Right. Um, we're recording this on the day that. Well, first off, we're officially a month out from Fight Night when we're recording this, and this is also the day that we're declaring a sellout of this oh, year's event. Fabulous. Very Wonderful. exciting. Um, you've been a part of Fight Night from the very beginning. You helped found the original Fight Night here in Dallas in 1989. Could you have imagined back then that we'd be sitting here 30-plus years later, still getting ready for it, still talking about it, still preparing for Fight Night? I must say back then, Bill, that uh, I really didn't give that a lot of thought, the, uh, the so-called shelf life of the event. Um, I was excited that we were going to do it. I wanted it to work. Uh, but others on the, uh, in, in the group, I think, felt that if we could get five years out of this thing, it would be wonderful. I, I really didn't think about that. Why do you think an event like Fight Night has resonated the way it has, both <clears> here and, and elsewhere, even as other combat sports, you know, your MMAs, your UFCs, even though that has sort of overtaken boxing um, in terms of popularity, what is it about Fight Night that, that keeps it going? You know, Fight Night is a, is a unique uh, charitable event. Uh, it's first class in every way, but um, I think if we want to be truthful, we admit that it has an element of political incorrectness. Uh, I think um, this is of interest to our guests. Uh, you know, probably in politically incorrect to say that, but I think many people are are um, uh, are somewhat stimulated by the fact that you know this is unique, this is different, uh, this is not mainstream in terms of of uh, what one can uh, expect out of a charity event. Uh, I think that there are far more closet boxing fans out there than than those that really acknowledge being true boxing fans. Why do you say that? <clears throat> you know, I, I think philosophically, um, boxing represents everybody's dark side. Okay. That may be an overstatement. And everybody, everybody has a dark side. Now, having said that, let me clarify. Uh, you know, there's there's some misconception that uh, boxers want to do serious harm to their opponents. That's not the case. Um, boxers want to win. Um, they either want to win by decision or they, they want to put their opponent down for at least 10 seconds on the canvas. Um, I've been involved with situations where uh, boxers have been hurt. Nobody feels worse than the boxers who inflicted that injury. I can imagine, yeah. It's, they just don't like it. They hate it. It gives it ends many a career. It doesn't happen that often, but when it does, uh, it often ends the, uh, the fighter's career, the, the boxer that inflicted the harm. Let's talk about Dallas. Uh, you were last on our show in 2018. We were preparing for the 30th anniversary of Fight Night, and you rattled off a list of cities, other cities, in which you had gone to the Fight Nights there, and you said that Nothing compared to 
the finite that we have here in Dallas. I'm not going to dispute that with you. Um, let's lean into that, actually. Sure. What separates Dallas from the other places that have co-opted uh, you know, the fight night event, the, the charitable component of it? What sets Dallas apart? I've been involved in, in doing the boxing side of, of uh, these events, and I think more than 50 times in these cities. The thing about fight night in Dallas um, is that it is a big production. Uh, there's nothing minor league about it. It feels like being at a major fight in Las Vegas. Um, and I think that is appreciated by everybody. I think people are, that attend it for the first time are a bit, they're struck by the magnitude of the, the production. Yeah, I've, I've been to three of these now, and um, three, maybe even four. I'm not, I've lost track of, of the time. And yeah, I was, I was very impressed the first time around by just how, not real it felt, but as close to what I would expect, you know, if I were to go to American Airlines Arena, I'm, I'm from New York, so Madison Square Garden, sure. for, for a major fight like that, sure. about what I would also expect if I were a spectator. You know, there's there's other points of differentiation, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> number one is Trek's long-term commitment to fight night. Uh, it's not a one-and-done thing. That's obvious. Um, secondly, uh, Trek's willingness to spend the money necessary to present an exciting evening. Uh, and then thirdly, um, we've got here a truly exemplary exemplary team of staff and volunteers. This is a very complicated event uh, with many, many components. I, in fact, I'd, I would say it merits a case study in management at a business school. It's that complicated. That it's, it's not easy to put together. And uh, year after year after year, Trek does it. We certainly appreciate the compliment. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Can you tell us the story of how the first fight night was created? Why did Trek and the Dallas real estate industry in general, why was this kind of event so necessary for this industry and this organization at that particular time in its history? In 1989, um, commercial real estate was in a true depression. It wasn't in a recession. There wasn't a pulse in commercial real estate. Horrible. Nonetheless, there was a need by the group to find a way to front fund the organization's expenses. There was at that point there was no uh, consideration as to the charitable aspect of it. Just trying to cover the cost of of the organization. Um, we hoped in that initial event, we hoped to get five hundred attendees. We had it at the at the at the Fairmount Hotel. Turns out uh, the response was stunning. Uh, we sold it out with, I think, 875 guests, and we had a waiting list almost that long of oh, people wow. that wanted to attend. That's incredible. The idea was to, the goal was to net perhaps $75,000. Uh, we netted twice the, that amount. Oh, wow. We knew we had something. You could yeah. just feel the buzz in the room. I mean, it was, it was something. 
But why why a boxing event? Was that was that your suggestion? Was that you know we have Steve on on board here, so maybe we can tie the boxing component to it too? Well, I don't remember all the details, Bill. The only thing I remember is we started discussing what kind of event we would would do. Um, first of all, we agreed it needed to be um, a really upscale event. Needed to be black tie. Somebody said, you know, it really needs to have a sports connection. Okay. I don't recall it was whether it was me or someone else that suggested boxing, but that's what we jumped on, and here we are. Now, as <clears throat> Trek's resident boxing chair, um, you are responsible for organizing the fights. You had mentioned that uh, that our guests see during fight night. They're all professional bouts. Sometimes there's you know championship implications on on the line. Um, what goes into deciding? what kind of matches we see, what weight classes, what kinds of fighters, are they all local, are they some national? What, what goes into, can, can you walk us through what that coordination looks like? Sure. First of all, the, my underlying premise is that our guests want exciting fights. Most are not uh, big boxing fans. With this in mind, uh, I work with our matchmaker uh, to put together competitive, exciting fights. Um, I want punchers, not pure boxers. I don't okay. think our guests want to just see a pure boxer. They want to see haymakers and not they, strategy. <clears throat> <laughs> they want excitement. Um, I very rarely put heavyweights on fight night because it, they tend to be ponderous and really not that exciting. Um, you know, I worked closely with the matchmaker for several months in advance. Um, I would say that I probably reject four out of five proposed matches. We're always looking to get the best that we can get. It's a task these days because there's a lot of money being paid to boxers out there because there are opportunities on, on various television, various television uh, productions. So it's a real scramble. We don't have, the, we certainly don't have the kind of money that um, you, that fighters on television get paid that you see in Las Vegas and other big venues. We have a very limited budget. We try to make the very most that we can with those. We have, <clears throat> we look for up and coming fighters that we think really have good potential. And in many cases we've had fighters that are on the downhill of their career, but nonetheless are exciting fighters. We can get them within, within the budget. We have fighters that come from uh, not only from uh, from Texas, but from around the United States, and often from uh, from uh, international locations. So, I, I think you could fairly characterize it as uh, as an international event. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about our next Market Matters Breakfast program coming up on Thursday, September twenty second. Our expert panel will be assessing the state of hospitality and look ahead at what's to come as the industry continues to rebound from the pandemic. Business or Pleasure, a hospitality summit, will be moderated by Christine Perez of DCEO and feature Dupree Scoville of Woodbine Development Corporation, John Borit of Eastill Secured, and Mahal Patel of Newcrest Image. Tickets are on sale now at recouncil.com backslash upcoming dash events that's recouncil.com backslash upcoming dash events. 
Special thanks to sponsors Grant Thornton and DCEO for their support of Market Matters. Now, let's get back to the show. So over the years, we've seen our share of surprises at Fight Night, from last year's flash mob marching band to the countless boxing legends that we've had over the years. I was going through some of the pictures within the last month from previous fight nights, and I mean, the list is unreal. It's it's every major fighter from, I mean, I would say the last 35, 40 years, but even going back further than that, we had Ali at one of the first one of the first fights. I mean, that seeing that picture for the first time of him, you know, in in the room just made my jaw drop. And then you get guys like, you know, we had Joe Frazier, we've had Lennox Lewis, we've had Sugar Ray uh, Leonard a few times. Exactly. Um, we had Marv- marvelous Marvin Hagler. Uh, rest in peace to him. Um, yes. <laughs> in in twenty eighteen, do you have a favorite fight night memory or a, a favorite big time guest that we've gotten? My favorite was in nineteen ninety. It is my favorite because of the presence of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad has a, had a mesmerizing effect on everybody in his presence, not just for his achievements in the ring, but for the extraordinary person that he was outside the ring. Just an absolutely astonishing man. I was so blessed as a result of that to become his friend and uh, traveled with him many times, spent a lot of time with him. Do you have a favorite Ali story from that time? There are so many. Um, (laughs) You know, sometimes I would get Ali and Frazier together to appear at an event. Joe could never get over the fact that Ali won two of their three fights. And uh, he was just openly antagonistic to, to Muhammad all these many years later. So... Nonetheless, we'd get them together. And what we would do is, uh, before the event, they would visit a school. And so we went to such an event. And the first to come out and talk to the kids was Joe Frazier. Joe was out there uh, very earnestly talking to the kids about staying in school and don't do drugs and you know this, that, and the other. And you could hear the children start to, to kind of laugh a little bit there was no obvious reason for it, except when you realized that Ali had crept out behind him and was making <laughs> faces and funny signs behind Joe. Oh, that's funny. And then he just creeped back out. Joe never knew what happened. What, what time frame was this? This would have been in the early 90s. Okay. So many stories, though. You know, uh, I have never seen him turn down a request for an autograph. Never. He can be exhausted, completely exhausted. And I've tried to get him away, and he pushes me away. He won't. He would not allow it. If somebody wants his autograph, he would do it. You know, we would, sometimes we'd share a, a two-bedroom suite. And I remember one morning I saw the light on his bedroom on, and I went around and looked. This was maybe 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, he had these little tracks, these little brochures um, about Islam. He used this uh, for two purposes. Number one, to convey his thoughts about his religion. And secondly, he would sign them. He would sign, sign, and sign, and sign, I don't know how long in the morning, to try to get his supply for the day. But he could go around giving people these out. Um, 
just a most unselfish man. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, I I grew up with a lot of the history, obviously, not around to see to see him in his prime, but he's really this like pre-Jordan, pre-Brady goat athlete. And I, I think it's really something that as we move further and further away, he tends to get a lot of these boxing giants tend to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Nobody could could uh, could have the impact that Muhammad had. Nobody. He he just uh, he was just really astounding. I think everybody that he faced was in awe of the man, even those that he whipped, which was virtually all of them. <laughs> Uh, they just had nothing but but good things to say about Muhammad. Yeah, I think it's really cool to see him become, as these years go on, this sort of, you know, American myth almost of of this this larger than life figure. I mean, his his sound bites had a lot, has had as much to do with that as as his prowess in the ring, of course. But um, he's, I mean, he's obviously passed on now, but he's taken on this just mythological level as, as an American story that uh, is just so cool. One more story. Uh, he and I were uh, together in Oklahoma City, and we went to visit a, uh, a children's hospital. This, uh, this hospital was for very sick children. And... Uh, Two aspects of that is we're, we're, they walk us in sort of through the back of the house, down the, the, the service hallways and that. And all of the, the people that worked there were all lined up. They were so excited. And as we're walking along, I see Muhammad look over and he sees this very large woman. I think she maybe have been a housekeeper or a, a maid standing over there looking at him. He walks over there, makes a real point of going over, and gives her a little kiss on the cheek. We then proceed into this large ward, and they had all these kids, uh, they'd lined their beds up around the perimeter of this room. Muhammad didn't say a word. He, he comes in, and he starts, and he goes to each bed, and he hugs each child. And I don't know, there probably was maybe 30 children in there. And while he was doing this, I looked across, and there was this, this boy. He looked to be a teenager, maybe 15 years old, 16 years old. And he was sitting there, and he, just, he had the sourest look on his face. I mean, he looked angry. He was just grimacing. And, um, you know, I don't know why. At any rate... Ali went on around, around, around. Still, he'd never said a word. He comes around to this, to this young boy, and he reaches over and he gives the boy a hug. And then he continues on around the room. And then I look over at this boy, and he was crying uncontrollably. We walk out, back out, get in the limo, take off. Ali has not said one single word. The next day on the, on, the, on the front page of USA Today was this picture of Ali in that hospital. That's the power that the man had. Yeah, that's incredible. 
FightNet has evolved in so many ways over the years, uh, primarily as a means to fundraise for Trek community investors and our work in Dallas's underserved neighborhoods. As someone that has been a part of this event from the very beginning and has sort of seen all of the all the changes, all the you know the evolution of of this event, looking ahead, uh, what would you say we would have to do to ensure that Fight Night continues to stay relevant? And look, I've I've been just riding around Dallas, have had Uber drivers ask me about fight night once they find out oh you work for the real estate council you're you know you're part of fight night how's mm-hmm. that going what would you say it would need to happen to be able to have you know a, a 60th anniversary of fight night a, a, you know what, what's it going to take for this event to to continue on into the future an excellent question bill uh, one of the most important things that i think we have to keep in mind is we have to keep the event fresh introducing new elements every year. People don't want to see this very same thing. It can be similar, but something to keep it fresh or some things. I think we're doing that this year from what I understand. That's very, very important. I also argue that while the success financially of any one year is obviously important for all the good work that Trek does, we we must realize that each year's event is also an investment in the next year. So we can't focus solely on this year's budget to the extent that, you know, we we don't perpetuate it. We have to, we're investing, each year we're investing for the next year. I think that's of critical importance. I've, I've been involved in many other fight nights in other cities. They didn't appreciate this. Uh, and because of that, these events became stale and finally did not continue. Um, and lastly, every year I make a pest out of myself, arguing that we really need a boxing celebrity to be in, a, in attendance. Um, I fully acknowledge that the cost is not insignificant, uh, but I think it's, it's very worthwhile. Um, as you pointed out earlier in the fight, history of Fight Night, uh, we've had the greatest champions as as our guests. Um, People are really excited about their presence. Uh, They enjoy uh, being in the presence of greatness. Uh, And I'm I'm frequently asked who our boxing liberty is going to be this year. Has there been a a boxer that you would like for us to have, or if you could bring anyone out that maybe we haven't had before, um, who who would it be? Uh, One name that comes to mind is Oscar De La Hoya. Oscar's a very busy guy these days. He's, uh, he's a promoter with, uh, with many shows, lots of boxers he's responsible for. It's hard to get his schedule to, to match up. I think he would be an excellent one. In terms of current boxers, um, I'd, I'd love to have uh, Canelo Alvarez for one. Um, I'd also like to have Deontay Wilder, the former heavyweight champion of the world. And uh, those, are, those are a couple. Those are all great names. Hey everyone, it's Bill again. I wanted to remind you that the early giving period in this year's North Texas Giving Day is going on right now. And you can support Trek Community Investors and its work in Dallas's underserved neighborhoods every day leading up to North Texas Giving Day on Thursday, September 22nd. 
North Texas Giving Day is one of the largest philanthropic events in the North Texas region, and your donations help us fund our neighborhood revitalization initiatives like the Dallas Catalyst Project and Dallas Collaborative for Equitable Development, as well as our affordable housing loan program and economic development projects throughout the DFW area. You can donate to Trek Community Investors and all your favorite DFW nonprofits over at NorthTexasGivingDay.org. We'll link to our donation page in the show notes, and you can also find it by searching for Trek Community Investors on the North Texas Giving Day homepage. Remember, you can donate every day during the early giving period, as well as on North Texas Giving Day itself on Thursday, September 22nd. Now, back to our conversation with Steve Crossan. So we've talked, we've talked a lot about boxing and a lot about, about real estate. I've got a few more icebreaker, getting to know you type questions for you. Um, do you have a book that you've recommended most often to friends and colleagues? Any book that you tend to recommend? Yes, indeed. I mean, there are, there are several, but one that sticks out is a book called From Dawn to Decadence. 1500 to the present, 500 years of Western cultural life, uh, written by Jacques Borzun. Absolutely sweeping view of, of Western history, Western cultural development. Really a fascinating book. Why do you find that valuable? You know, I think, uh, first of all, um, as the old saying go, goes, uh, if you don't appreciate history, you're, you're, you're doomed to, to repeat it. Um, I think it gives us a, a really interesting and educational view of from whence we came and where we're going. If you could put a giant billboard on the side of I-75 with anything on it, what would that billboard say? Two sentences. The first is a quote from Abraham Lincoln, a house divided against itself cannot stand. The second would say, as a country, we must define ourselves by what we have in common, not by our differences. As a nation, at least since the Civil War, we've never been more divided than we are right now. I fear for the Republic because of it. If you had a friend or business partner come to Dallas for the first time, what would you show them? Where would you take them? What would you do? Where would you go to eat? That's a difficult question. Uh, I'm very, very proud of Dallas. Um, I like to, to showcase the city's dynamism, which is unquestionably great, uh, and also its history. I think people tend to, uh, outsiders tend to think that Dallas really doesn't have much of a history. In fact, it really does. A fascinating history. So I'd like to, to show them that. Uh, we tour around a good bit, and we'd uh, probably end up having dinner at Cafe Pacific. Any particular sites along that tour that, that are must-sees for you? And not the usual Kennedy assassination uh, location or that sort of thing. Um, I'd have to give that some more thought, uh, Bill, but I'd really like to reveal things that may not be terribly obvious to visitors. There's, there's, there, there are things that uh, I'm not sure many people know. For example, the old, uh, the old red courthouse downtown. If you look up in the top of that 
building, there is an open area. Actually, it's a, I'm not sure if campanile is the proper term. It's a, a covered area up there, but it's open. And I found that in Dallas's early days, when somebody was uh, convicted of a heinous crime, they were hanged from there. Oh, wow. And left up there for a while so that people could see. I'm not saying that's something to be terribly proud about, but that's kind of an interesting... Yeah, I don't remember seeing that on the tourism brochure. No, I wouldn't Dallas. think so. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. And you said Cafe Pacifico for, for a meal? Yes. What do you like to eat there? Oh, I'm pretty well stuck in my routine of... Uh, I just get a simple sole and uh, some steamed vegetables. Very simple, but always first rate. In fact, I'm going there tonight. Excellent. Can't go wrong. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and talking about Fight Night with us. I'd like to wrap with a question that I ask each of our guests. Our slogan is build the city you've imagined, which I've always thought of as a challenge to our members and our you know community partners and friends to leave a positive lasting mark on, on our city. What does that expression mean for you? What kind of lasting mark on, on the city, if, if you could have your say in, in what that mark would be. What does that mean, mean for you and, and sort of how you approach your, your work and, and your life? Um, my thought is rather simple, Bill. Um, I think that to, to, to build our city, that we need to give of ourselves unselfishly to help where help is needed. Um, pardon me, I think we need to support the efforts of those uh, having a similar interest. In short, if we do our best to, for Dallas, success will follow. I think that if we have these, these concepts in mind, the opportunities to, to do just that will reveal themselves. Steve, thank you so much. I can't wait for fight night. Uh, it should be fun. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Bill. Nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. That's all for today's show. I'd like to again thank our resident boxing chair, Steve Crossan of Integra Realty Resources, for jumping on to talk all things fight night. I hope it's gotten you even more fired up for the big night on Thursday, September 29th. Be sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already, and follow us on social media and YouTube for more exclusive content from around the Real Estate Council and Trek community investors. Check the link in the show notes for our social media pages, registration for our September 22nd Market Matters event, and our Trek Community Investors North Texas Giving Day page. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>